And welcome to another edition of Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside here on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. We are your retro talk program for nostalgia and baby boomer stuff. I'm Smitty. I'm Mike. And on today's show, we're going to remember the 70th anniversary of Pearl Harbor. Well, we sure are happy to have you with us on another edition of Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside. As we mentioned, we're going to be remembering the 70th anniversary of Pearl Harbor. December 7th, 2011 is the 70th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor by Japan, and which brought uh, the United States into World War II. And we thought we'd just spend this show talking about that a little bit, remembering that event, certainly remembering the lives that were lost on that day, and giving you a little bit of background, not only on Pearl Harbor, but sort of the the beginning of uh, World War II, at least for the United States. You know, Mike, it's interesting, I used to ask some younger friends back in the day, I would ask them, when did World War II begin, do you know? And they would always say, well, it began with the attack on Pearl Harbor, but that's not true. As you, as you and I know, World War II had begun two years earlier with the invasion of Poland by Germany on that's September right. the 1st, 1939. So yeah. World War II had already been underway for a couple of years, and we, the United States was maintaining its neutrality, trying to uh, keep at peace, and, of course, it was something that inevitably was going to catch up to us. Well, true, and we were actually involved in World War II before Pearl Harbor. We were helping the English and the French and the Russians and just about everybody else who were fighting the uh, Nazis with materials and consulting. We even had uh, our crack Air Force pilots uh, going over to Canada to the uh, Royal Canadian Air Force and the Royal Air Force and... Uh, getting in fighters and bombers and fighting the Germans. So a lot of Americans were involved in World War II before Pearl Harbor, before the attack, and America itself was financially deeply involved in World War II long before we got officially into World War II. Yeah, exactly, Mike. And President Roosevelt uh, initiated such programs as Lend-Lease, and we were certainly on the side of uh, France and Great Britain. As far as uh, our deteriorating relationship with Japan at that time, just very, very briefly. I think the the story of Pearl Harbor is generally known to everybody. It's been, you know, so many years, and we all remember. But, however, uh, just very, very briefly, around September 1940, the United States placed an embargo on Japan prohibiting exports of steel, scrap iron, and aviation fuel uh, because of Japan's invasion of northern French Indochina. In the spring of 1941, Japan signed a neutrality treaty with the Soviet Union to help prevent an attack from that direction if they were to go to war with uh, either Great Britain or the U.S. In mid-1941, Japan occupied southern Indochina, and a couple of days after that, the United States, Great Britain, and the Netherlands froze Japanese assets. Uh, this prevented Japan from buying oil, which would have uh, crippled uh, its army and naval uh, fleets and its air force uh, would have made its air force completely useless. Toward the end of 1941, with the Soviets seemingly on the verge of defeat by the Axis powers, Japan seized the opportunity to try to take the oil resources of Southeast Asia. Japan was, of course, as were the Axis countries, trying to enlarge their empires and gain more territory. Um, prior to December 1941, Japan pursued two simultaneous courses to try to get the oil embargo lifted on terms that would still let them take the territory they wanted and to prepare 
for war. And of course, the deteriorating uh, negotiations between the United States and Japan eventually led to the beginning of World War II for us and the attack on Pearl Harbor. There had been warnings. The United States had broken the Japanese diplomatic code, and they knew an attack was imminent. However, not enough information was supplied to prevent or to circumvent the attack on Pearl Harbor. And early warning radar was a, a new technology at that time. Japanese planes were spotted by radar before the attack, but they were assumed to be a flight of American B-17s coming in from the West Coast. And of course, Mike, you know that Pearl Harbor was, of course, a big military base, a central location, very important to the United States Navy, uh, shipbuilding facilities, all sorts of facilities for the cruisers and the uh, aircraft carriers that were... Uh, in the Pacific at that time. It was a surprise attack. Uh, later on, history will reveal in a lot of the documents, a lot of the books written, that it was not such a surprise. Our government knew it was coming. Our military knew it was coming. We just didn't know where or when. But to be caught like that with our pants down, so to speak, on a Sunday morning and be wide open with all our, our almost the entire Pacific fleet parked helplessly all in one place, our entire Army Air Corps airplanes parked basically in two places, all wide open and helpless. Uh, that was to this day, and it will go down in history, as probably one of, one of the most avoidable sneak attacks that didn't have to be sneaky or an attack. Exactly, Mike. And on the morning of December 7th, 1941, just before 8 a.m. local time in Hawaii, an otherwise peaceful Sunday morning, the first wave of Japanese airplanes left six aircraft carriers and struck Pearl Harbor in two waves of terror lasting two hours. They killed or wounded over 3,500 Americans and sank or badly damaged 18 ships, including all eight battleships of the Pacific Fleet and over 350 destroyed or damaged aircraft. At least 1,177 lives were lost when the battleship USS Arizona exploded and subsequently sank. We have a couple of radio news broadcasts from that period, just to kind of give our listeners a little bit of a flavor. Interestingly enough, Mike, it may come as a surprise to all of our listeners that really there was not much radio coverage of the attack on Pearl Harbor that day. It's been said that radio journalism was born on that day, but it certainly did not provide extensive coverage as it would later in the war during D-Day and subsequently uh, the death of President Roosevelt, the end of the war. There were only some brief reports that came out that day, and radio continued its regularly scheduled programs for most of that day, except for a few exceptions when there were some reports that they wanted to carry. It's interesting that you would think that they would have gone to a um, sort of wall-to-wall -wall coverage of that, but that was not yet in the works. That was still in the future. That was, uh, again, this, this was the first really huge event of this type that radio would cover. Radio was still relatively new, and so uh, this was the first time that it would cover such a massive story. Well, in the time difference, you mentioned 7.55 in the morning. Yeah. And that was Hawaii time. By the time the cable, the telegram, got back to Washington, D.C., it was well afternoon on a Sunday. Yeah. And if it's like Oh, if it's like the media networks, um, they just don't have a full staff on weekends. It was weekend coverage. A lot of the standard programs, CBS being probably the biggest, that and the Blue Network, um, didn't have a lot of their people available. And uh, probably a lot of the news networks did not even know until probably sometime that Sunday night because 
At 7.55 Hawaii time, I believe it was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon in Washington, D.C. Just about, D. yes, uh-huh, yes, just about. And, and of course, Washington, D.C. embargoed all transmissions, I'm sure, mm-hmm. and to get over the shock, and what, what do we do next? And, of course, the President of the United States, Franklin Roosevelt, needed to get on the air, and I don't think the news media outlets or networks, well, of course, they didn't have the access to citizen news right. like we do nowadays, or local uh, probably Hawaii local radio put something out, but a thousand miles away in San Francisco, you weren't able to get that signal unless by short wave. Sure, exactly. So we yeah. we were pretty much as far as radio and communications in the dark until probably Monday morning. Yeah, I think it was almost a half hour or twenty minutes or a half hour before the news even got, I think, to Washington at that time. But here's an example of you're talking about CBS, Mike. Here's an example of the CBS coverage of that day. Uh, it just so happened that CBS had a regularly scheduled news program scheduled to run at the same time the first bulletin came in from Pearl Harbor. So they just handled it as a regular item. It was not, they didn't break into any programming. They had a regularly scheduled news program, as you'll hear. And let's listen to this so you can just get, kind of get a flavor of what Americans heard that Sunday afternoon, December 7th, 1941. The world today. By shortwave radio, Columbia now brings you reports from its foreign correspondents overseas with summaries of the latest world news presented over these stations by Golden Eagle Gasoline. Go ahead, New York. The Japanese have attacked Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, by air, President Roosevelt has just announced. The attack also was made on all naval and military activities on the principal island of Oahu. We take you now to Washington. The details are not available. They will be in a few minutes. The White House is now giving out a statement. The attack apparently was made on all naval and on naval and military activities on the principal island of Oahu. The president's brief statement was read to reporters by Stephen Early, the president's secretary. A Japanese attack upon Pearl Harbor naturally would mean war. Such an attack would naturally bring a counterattack. And hostilities of this kind would naturally mean that the president would ask Congress for a declaration of war. There is no doubt from the temper of Congress that such a declaration would be granted. This morning, Secretary Hull talked with the secretaries of war and of the Navy. Now the two special Japanese envoys, Admiral Nomura and Special Envoy Caruso, are are at the State Department engaged in conference with Secretary of State Hull. Their appearance at the State Department on this Sunday afternoon emphasizes the gravity of the Far Eastern situation where hostilities now seem to be actually opening over the whole South Pacific. And just now comes the word from the President's office that a second air attack has been reported on Army and Navy bases in Manila. We return you now to New York, and we'll give you later information as it comes along from the White House. Return you now to New York. Yeah, imagine that report, tuning into the radio, which was the main communications medium for the American public, and having a nice uh, a nice autumn or nice winter autumn day, December 7th, that'd still be fall. And Sunday afternoon, Sunday dinner, and switching on the radio to pick up the news and hearing something like that, I think it was almost... Well, this is more of a baby boomer show, Galaxy Nostalgia Network, but uh, imagine how you felt when you saw the uh, the World Trade Center, the first glimpses on television, and imagine our uh, 
our grandparents and parents who were listening to the radio when the first news came in about the attack on Pearl Harbor, the shock value was just probably incredible. What do you think, Smitty? Oh, absolutely, Mike. Yeah, it was just something that... Uh, almost unbelievable. Almost unbelievable, yeah. You know, radio, again, the, the dominating medium, of course, at that time. And to hear this, as you said, Mike, on a peaceful Sunday morning, even though I think some Americans may, maybe may have had an inkling that things were deteriorating as far as our uh, relationship with Japan at that time. But nevertheless, it was a shocking, a shocking event. Um, immediately, defense uh, mechanisms went into play here on the mainland of the United States, especially on the West Coast. And, Mike, you were going to talk a little bit about, uh, we'll talk a little more about uh, some more of these reports from Pearl Harbor, but you were going to talk a little bit about some of the blackouts that subsequently uh, happened after the attack uh, on December 7th. Well, the West Coast was probably the first area of the United States to be alerted because the Japanese had hit. Hawaii, so the next stop would be San Francisco or Los Angeles or Seattle or anywhere along the West Coast. And actually, there was an attack in Santa Barbara uh, just a few months later, but we'll talk about the immediate rush to protecting the country, especially the West Coast. And I know this well because I, my family lived in Los Angeles, and I talked to my mom and dad about the first days of World War II, and immediately uh, in Los Angeles blackouts were put in effect because uh, people could almost guarantee with 100, 100% accuracy that the Japanese were going to hit some cities on the West Coast next. And there was also uh, invasion precautions for the Japanese uh, army all the way into the Midwest of the United States. Mm -hmm. They were preparing in Iowa for a Japanese uh, infantry invasion. But in Los Angeles, uh, it was lights out every night, I believe. Every it night was, at a certain yeah. time in the Los Angeles Police Department, uh, they had air raid wardens, thousands of block wardens who wore helmets. And we have a picture of the helmet that the Los Angeles air raid wardens uh, would use, and they'd have little tiny flashlights, and you better have your lights out because they, you would actually go to jail. Oh, yeah, it was a crime. Yeah, it would be businesses. Like uh, we've probably seen the movies, the World War II era movies where the headlights on the cars had little slits cut into mm -hmm. them they had covers mm -hmm. but it was lights out i always thought that was i don't know if it was an irony but everywhere from san diego all the way up to seattle it was blackout time for the rest of the war uh lights out of course for a possible air attack but you go right down over the border from san diego and tijuana was just as bright and oh, happy sure, as yeah. can be oh, so yeah. If I guess if I was an enemy pilot, I'd look at the lights of Tijuana and hang a left turn and that's maybe go up about 30 miles and I'd have downtown San Diego in my sights. Exactly right, Mike. And uh, nevertheless, yeah, that was it. Was There were blackout curtains. There was uh, the little slits that you uh, would put over the uh, automobile headlights. Yes, work shift changed. Oh, factors yeah. Changed, factors changed. Everything changed. So, you basically did not do too much at nighttime that would involve the need or the use of, of lighting. Of lighting, exactly. And the other interesting thing that, that happened, of course, is, uh, again, getting back to one of my favorite topics, radio, uh, the radio stations would go off the air because they didn't want to use, they didn't want the enemy to be right. able to use the radio stations to home in. To home in on the signal. On, on the signal, uh, subsequently homing in on the city. So there was also that, that standpoint, too. Well, you know, and then we had just come out of it, we were coming out of a depression, and then... The Pearl Harbor attack, World War II, got cranked up into full swing, and next thing you know, the entire West Coast was a was a boomtown oh, of, yeah. of uh, defense 
factories, little mom and pop shops. They were called pop shops, I think. Mm-hmm. Small shops, uh, one two man shops that would make a, a gear that would go to another assembly that would go to a B twenty four bomber. But all along the west coast, it was a boom town. I mean, I I, re, I remember in Burbank there was Lockheed, sure, Hughes, Torrance, uh, big aircraft. Uh, Martin Marietta, and of course in San Diego, Convair, General yeah, Dynamics. Exactly, yeah. So a lot of people went back to work. Unfortunately, a lot of people lost their lives, but the war turned into a, turned into an antidote for a, a horrible depression. Oh yeah, that's what uh, really subsequently ended the depression was World War Two. That's what, and a, a lot of people to this day speculate that that's why uh, that's why the powers that be allowed us to get hit. Had we known the Japanese were coming and were waiting for them and blew them all out of the Pacific Ocean, uh, we would have probably still been in a depression. We wouldn't need as many tanks and bombers anyway. Yeah, exactly. And that and that's a subject of debate that uh, we've heard over the years. Did the government know? Did they know uh, did that that was going to happen? Did they have an inkling but let it happen? And I don't know. I, it's kind of hard to say, Mike. I'd rather not speculate. I think just no. history... It's better just to focus on uh, well, re- remembering the events of that day. Seventy years ago, and and to this day, I know people. My father-in-law is one of them. He was he was in the Army Air Corps, stationed in the Pacific, and uh, he had the opportunity to visit the uh, Arizona Memorial. Mm-hmm. It's about twenty twenty-five years ago, and I guess anyone who had been in World War II, they would go back to that memorial and visit that where. There's several hundred sailors and Marines still entombed yes, in, in the Arizona battleship. Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone I've ever known, everyone I've ever heard of, and there had been CBS coverage of these, but my father-in-law, for one, they would go to the memorial and just break down all those memories yeah. of 50, 60, 40, 70 years come back. It's very telling, the emotion of the attack on Pearl Harbor, the emotional reaction of the American people uh, we did some research on this story, and next the next morning after the Pearl Harbor attack was broadcast, every recruiting office in the country was packed with lines around the block. Oh yes, of people that wanted to enlist to uh, to get even with what the Japanese have, had done the day before. The surge in patriotism yes. was uh, tremendous, Mike, and everyone wanted to do their part. Young men going in to sign up to enlist themselves, uh, older folks participating in scrap drives, uh, growing victory gardens, children uh, uh, going to war bond rallies, trying to sell war bond schools. Movie stars. Movie stars, absolutely. Movie stars that that traveled around. Of course, uh, the uh, movie actress Carol Lombard lost her life flying uh, during a war bond uh, rally, I believe. And uh, the great great orchestra leader Glenn Miller died when his plane disappeared over the English Channel. Joe Kennedy, one of the Kennedys, he was the... uh, yeah, the oldest the old, son. The oldest yes, son. The yeah, oldest President Kennedy. Kennedy's older brother. And of course, yes, JFK uh, himself was badly wounded. Yes, JFK was badly wounded in, uh, in commanding the, in a the PT boat in the Pacific. So uh, that I have to agree with the author. That was the greatest generation, even especially during World War II, uh, where everybody was involved in the war. Moms and sisters, and you've heard of Rosie the Riveter, and. Uh, the males, most of the males, had gone to be the fighting force and fight the war, so that left the females at home to make the resources and the equipment to go fight the war with. So everybody joined in, everybody locked arms, and everybody did something. My dad my dad was a youngster at the time in World War II. I, I believe he was 10 or 11, but he told me, remember, he and his friends getting their wagons and going out and picking up uh, junk and sure. old tires and old scrap metal. Everybody did something for the war effort. 
And, uh, you know, it's just amazing how the movies that have been made, film noir, film noir is a, uh, is a genre of, uh, genre of filmmaking that came about in World War II. And in doing some research, film noir in, primarily was in L.A. and uh, Glendale and some in San Diego, but it was a very dark, shadowy type film uh, genre. And a lot of it was for a reason that a lot of the filming had that took place at night had to be taken place in shadows and low light. Yeah, yeah. And it became a, a film genre in itself. It but, did, yeah. you know, we were hit, we were talking about enemy attack on home soil. And, and actually, there was on February 23rd, 1942, a Japanese submarine, a raider submarine that surfaced off a little town on the California coast north of Santa Barbara. And it pumped 13 shells into the tidewater, which was refineries at the time. Uh, they were going for the gas storage facility, but they missed. But uh, that attack was right out about the same time that one of President Roosevelt's fireside chats was taking place. So they thought that that might be their answer to mm-hmm. the president. But it was just uh, it was just the only attack that we know of. There was also sightings off the coast of Seattle in Oregon, but other than that mini submarine attack on Santa Barbara, we managed to keep the West Coast safe from intruders, either by air, land, or sea, and that was pretty good because, again, the West Coast was just ready for the invasion to occur at any moment. That's interesting, Mike, because I remember my late aunt uh, would tell me stories that she was living with my grandmother at the time during World War II, and she said that they were they were afraid. They were expecting a Japanese attack, and they were doing whatever they could to keep going, uh, you know, living their daily lives, but they they were very concerned that a Japanese attack on the West Coast was imminent. Well, and sadly enough, the, uh, the Nisi, the Japanese-Americans, were rounded up en masse, and these were, these were true Americans, uh, American-Americans, and they were picked up because they were had Japanese uh, roots and backgrounds, and everybody who appeared to be from a, an Asian country, if you were Chinese, you had to explain that you were Chinese. Yes, you did, yes. My mom and dad even told me there were people that would wear buttons down the street proud to be Chinese, so right. people would not confuse them with being Japanese. But um, these Americans, these Japanese Americans, lost everything. They were rounded up. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were just rounded up and taken to places like Manzanar. Uh, the Santa Anita racetrack in Arcadia was turned into a, basically a Japanese concentration camp. Uh, the concentra- Saying concentration camp is probably not appropriate. It was an internment camp. Internment, yeah. And that's, this is where they had to restart their lives. And most of them came out after the war and were proud to be Americans and restarted their lives again after having everything taken away from them. You have to give them a lot of credit because to have everything taken away and to have lost that time of your life, uh, but they were able able to get restarted again. And the argument then was, well, why didn't they round up all the Germans and all the Italians? We were at war with Hitler. We were at war with Mussolini. And the common response, the common answer throughout history was, well, Hitler didn't attack New York City by surprise attack, or Mussolini didn't attack Miami. Right. Uh, the Japanese attacked us. The sneaky, you know what's attacked us on a Sunday morning and wiped out all our sailors. And uh, it was horrible for the Japanese because uh, the unfortunate part was most of the Japanese Americans lived on the West Coast. Yeah. And they were hardworking people and business people and farmers and contributed greatly. 
um, to the American economy, and they were rounded up. They they were some of the true victims of the Japanese Empire attack. Yeah, they their, were their own people. Their yeah, own, they were their own descendants. Yeah, they were Mike, and uh, certainly a very difficult, another difficult aspect uh, aftermath of the attack on um, on Pearl Harbor. Let's listen to another quick broadcast. This is a broadcast from station KGU in Honolulu. Uh, they were feeding this broadcast to NBC sort of an eyewitness account of what was happening. It's a little hard to understand, but I think you'll be able to pick up enough of it to uh, make heads or tails of it. Let's listen to that. One, two, three, four. Hello, NBC. Hello, NBC. This is KGU in Honolulu, Hawaii. I am speaking from the roof of the Advertiser Publishing Company building. We have witnessed this morning a distant view It's a real war, he said, and um, Mike, we're almost out of time, believe it or not. This this show has flown by, as they all do, but we wanted to remember this anniversary of Pearl Harbor. You know, as every year goes on, Mike, inevitably there are less and less survivors of Pearl Harbor. There, once upon a time, there was a goodly number of them. Now they're dwindling, now that you figure they would be in their close to their 90s, or in their 90s now. This is 70 years ago, so um, as time goes on, we have less and less survivors who were there at Pearl Harbor that are still among us. That's true. And even uh, if you know of somebody, a mother, father, grandparent, who has some experience of the blackout days, I think we we need to clarify one thing. It wasn't a blackout every single night. Right, yeah, yeah, it there, wasn't. There would be sightings or there would be rumors or there might be interceptions of, right, of enemy correct. communications. And the blackout would go into effect. It wasn't the next four years every night at dawn. Oh, yeah. No, no. So I wanted to clear that up because I mentioned every night, but that's not true. But uh, if you want to catch a good book, and one of the best reads about the time, and I, I'm a movie nut anyway, would be uh, a, a book called Blackout, World War II and the Origins of Film Noir. It's by John Hopkins University Press. It's by an author named Cherie Chinen Bison, B-I-E-S-E-N, Cherie Chinen Bison, B-I-E-S-E-N, and it's one of the best movies if you like Barbara Stanwyck and Fred McMurray, that whole double indemnity thing, and this gun for hire, and all those mystery movies of the 45s, Darkness in L.A. Uh, you might want to pick up this book, and you can get it, I'm sure, on Amazon, but I think we're about what? We're just about we're done to black out this show. We're going to black out this show, Mike. We just barely scraped the surface of this giant iceberg. Yes. Uh, there just really isn't enough time to go into great detail, but we did want to commemorate the 70th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor. We wanted to remember those who died all throughout the war, not just Pearl Harbor, and salute those still among us who are veterans of, of World War II and the other wars that this nation has fought. In the meantime, we would like to hear from you if you have any memories of any of these events, or you have family members that remember this, we sure would like to hear from you. You can write us. Our email address is galaxymoonbeamnightside at gmail.com, galaxymoonbeamnightside at gmail.com, and our website 
is galaxymoonbeamnightsight.com. And Mike mentioned earlier, we'll post a couple pictures on our website. We have a, a helmet, uh, Mike, a civil defense helmet. Yes, we'll post. Uh, okay. Air Raid Warden helmet Air Raid Warden Los helmet. Angeles. Okay, we'll do that. And don't forget, we also have a Facebook page, Galaxy Moonbeam Nightsight page on Facebook. We invite you to uh, check that out, and we have some nice pictures there and uh, pictures of some of our past guests, and we hope that you will enjoy looking at that. And remember, we are a baby boomer show. We are baby boomers here, and we hope that most of you are baby boomers out there. And remember World War II was one of the things that caused the baby boom. That's right. That's it one is reason. The thing. That's one reason why a lot of us are here. 1946 to 1964. <laughs> so uh, right. you got a granddad and a grandmother or a mom and dad. And uh, if you're a baby boomer, kindly thank them. Yes. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. And you would be. Exactly. Well, we're going to wrap up our show. That's all we have time for this time. And we do thank you for joining us. We invite you to join us again next time. I'm Smitty. I'm Mike. Thanks, folks. We'll see you next time. Take care. Let's remember Pearl Harbor as we go to meet the foe. Let's remember Pearl Harbor as we give the Alamo. We will always remember how they died for liberty. Let's remember Pearl Harbor and go on to victory.